Hello and welcome to Bible 101 Lesson 5. Before we begin, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask you today to speak to our hearts. Give us understanding and revelation. Help us, Lord, to digest your word. Lord, help us, Lord Jesus, not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word, to put it in action. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, in the last lesson, we talked about Cain and Abel. We mentioned the fact that Cain was a tiller of the ground and Abel was a keeper of sheep. And when it came time, and in process of time, verse 3 of chapter 4 of Genesis, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. We mentioned the fact that he just kind of brought what he wanted to bring. God had already set the precedent about the blood sacrifice, but Cain didn't care about that. He just brought what he wanted to bring stubbornly. And then Abel, he brought of the firstlings of his flock. He brought his very best. He brought a blood sacrifice and of the fat thereof, all of which would be required later uh, in, in types of sacrifices in the law. How did he do this? He had a relationship with God. By faith, the Bible says he did it. He took God at his word, number one. Number two, he had a relationship with God. He knew what God liked. And so when uh, Cain brings a sacrifice, God doesn't have respect for his sacrifice, but he does honor Abel's. And so Cain, rather than repent and say, God, I'm sorry I messed up. Uh, I'll do better tomorrow. No, Cain got mad. God tried to reason with him, but Cain didn't listen to God. And so uh, we find out that he stood up against his brother Abel and he slew him. He couldn't attack God, so he attacked his brother. And God took that personal, because when you attack another human being, you attack God. God is totally against murder. And so we mentioned the fact that uh, Cain, his punishment was increased uh, from what Adam's punishment was. God had told Adam that thorns and thistles would, would uh, come up from the ground and, and that uh, the ground would not yield to him easily. It would be by the sweat of his brow that he'd earn a living. But when it came time for Cain, God said, the ground will not yield to you, Cain. All of your labor is going to be totally fruitless. Then he also said, a, uh, a vagabond, a fugitive, you will be in the earth. And Cain understood from that what that meant because he says, from thy face shall I be hid. In verse 16 it says, and Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Then he has children, okay? And I, I want to mention a few things here. Um, and it says he bare Enoch, okay? Enoch, so keep that in mind. In the line of Cain, there's an Enoch. Also in the line of Cain, later on, there's a Lamech, both of which are wicked. Lamech is incredibly wicked. But then it's very interesting because at the end of the chapter, we find out that Adam and Eve have another son. His name's Seth. His name means substitute. Through his line is going to come the line of Jesus Christ. So the Bible in chapter 5 of Genesis is going to give us a uh, contrast here. It's going to give us an opposite picture. Um, so the line of Seth, when Seth is born and he has a son named Enos, men began, began to call upon the name of the Lord. This represented a turn in history. Uh, rather than, you know, it's going downhill, 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 but when they have Seth, and Seth has a son, men begin to call on the name of the Lord. The hope is restored, okay? Chapter 5 of Genesis, and verse number 1, uh, and, and we're going to read only a few verses of Scripture, and I'm going to kind of skip through this quickly, because this is the book of generations. And sometimes when you look at these genealogies in the Bible, you wonder, why in the world is this in the Bible, and what purpose does it have for us here today? But I want to show you something that, excuse me, these, um, these genealogies actually have a lot of purpose in them. Genesis 5 and verse number 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. 
In the day that God created man in the likeness of God, made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. Okay, and it says, verse 3, And Adam lived an hundred and thirty years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam after he begat, uh, had begotten Seth were eight hundred years, and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were nine hundred and thirty years, and he died. Now remember, God said, In the day ye eat thereof, ye shall surely die. Boy, he sure lived a long time before that came to pass. But let me just tell you, somebody says the, uh, the, the, the wills of God grind exceeding slow, but they do grind, grind very fine. And so the, the, the punishment that God had put upon man, it may have seemed like it was slow in coming, but it did happen. You will pay a price for sin. It may be uh, 10 years down the road. It may be 20. It may be 30. It may be 40 or 50 or 60 years. You may not even have to face all the results of your punishment in this life. But I'm going to tell you something. You're going to pay a price for sin because sin always has a penalty to it. Okay? And so let's go back here. Um, verse number 6. And Seth lived in 105 years and begot Enos. And Seth lived after he begot Enos 807 years and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. And Enos lived 90 years and begot Canaan. Uh, Canaan. And Enos lived after he begot Canaan 815 years and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Enos were 905 years and he died. Now this may seem very monotonous, but I'm going to point something out here in just a minute. I'm reading this for a point. Notice it says, live begot died. Live begot died. Live begot died. So there's a pattern here. Canaan lived after he begot Mahalalel. This is verse 13. 840 years and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Canaan were 910 years and he died. And Mahalalel lived 60 and 5 years and begot Jared and Mahalalil lived after he begot Jared 830 years, and he begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Mahalalil were 890 and five years, and he died. And Jared lived in 160 and two years, and he begot Enoch. And Jared lived after he begot Enoch 800 years, and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were 960 and two years, and he died. And Enos lived 60 and five years, and begot Methuselah. Now remember, in the line of Cain in chapter number three, there was a child in that line named Enoch. And Enoch uh, built a city. But notice on the flip side, there's an Enoch in Seth's line too. But watch what happens. In contrast to the one in uh, Cain's line that built a city, notice this Enoch. And Enoch, verse 22, walked with God after he begot Methuselah. Now the name Methuselah, uh, it literally means uh, when I die, the flood comes. When I die, the flood comes. Some have translated it that way. Um, and so Enoch walked with God. He had a relationship with God. After he begot Methuselah 300 years, he begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. And Enoch, verse 24 of Genesis 5, walked with God. What a testimony. And he was not, for God took him. In other words, he was raptured. He was taken out of this earth. Why was that the case? Why did God take him out of the earth? Why did God spare him from the wrath that was to come? Let's go to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 11. And uh, I want to read a few verses of Scripture. Actually, just one verse of Scripture here to you. Verse 5. Hebrews 11 and verse 5. Again, this is the hall of faith. All the great characters of faith, or most of them, are written in here. Some of them are, are mentioned not by name, but indeed. Uh, and some of them it just says in others. But watch this in verse number 5 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Enoch was translated. There's that word again, by faith, taking God at his word. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. That 
is all that's really said about Enoch. He pleased God. But what a testimony. He walked with God. He pleased God. One day he was not, for God took him. I heard one man say it this way. He said God had revealed so much to him, he realized he had to take him to heaven. And so we're told that Enoch walked with God. He had a relationship with God in the midst of a world that was filled with wickedness. In the midst of a world where people were doing what they wanted to do, one man named Enoch had a relationship with God. Okay, it's so let's keep reading here. It says, Enoch walked with God. He was not for God took him. Verse, 20, uh, let's, verse 25, and Methuselah lived 180 and seven years and begot Lamech. You remember that name? Back in chapter number four, there was a Lamech in Cain's line who killed two men. But notice in the line of, uh, of, of Seth, is this Methuselah, uh, he, his name means when I die, the flood comes. And if you do the math, he did die the, the, uh, uh, when the flood came. It says, and Methuselah lived in 180 and seven years and begot Lamech, or right before the, before the flood came, excuse me. Verse 26, and Methuselah lived after he begot Lamech 702 years and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. And Lamech lived in 180 and two years and begot a son, and he called his name Noah. Noah. Now that's a very important name because we're going to talk about him here for a little bit. Uh, the name Noah means rest. Saying, this same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. And Lamech lived after he begot Noah 590 and five years and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Lamech were 770 and seven years and he died. And Noah was 500 years old and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. You're going to have to remember that later on in, this, in, 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 a, in a future lesson. But what it tells us is, in contrast to, to, to Cain and his line, and Lamech, uh, and the Lamech being exceedingly wicked, killing two men and seeing God's curse as a blessing, here we have a Lamech on the side of Seth, and he has a son named Noah. Noah is going to be the salvation of mankind. Thank God for Noah. Chapter 6 of Genesis and verse number 1. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose. And there's a lot of things that this could mean. But if I could just kind of present something here to you today, I'm not going to take time to interpret this passage because there's so many different interpretations. But let me just point this out. It says... Uh, they took them wives of all which they chose, okay? And so one thing that could be brought out in here is the fact that marriage was no longer sacred. People just took and married whoever they wanted to marry, just did what they wanted to do. Rather than be in a relationship, one man and one woman for life, like God had instituted. Remember I told you earlier in an earlier lesson, leaving and cleaving. Uh, for this cause shall man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife singular okay but now man they're just taking uh, the sons of god saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose they just married whoever they wanted to marry verse number three and the lord said my spirit shall not always strive with man for that he also is flesh yet his day shall be in 120 years uh there's different interpretations for this some people believe it took noah 120 years to build the ark other people say that it meant that the average lifespan of a man would really not go beyond 120 years. Um, there's a few people that live longer than that. 
But verse number four, there were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, uh, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. And God saw, this is what I really want to focus on, Genesis 6 and 5, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Boy, we've come a long way from that first sin in the garden. We've come from one sin to where mankind cannot have one good thought. All of their imaginations are wicked because sin grows. I mentioned the fact earlier, sin makes you want to hide from God. Sin brings shame. Sin brings uh, condemnation with it. And when uh, here we, we read that... Um, the thoughts of their heart were only evil continually. In other words, sin has grown to the place where it's now. They can't even have a good thought because sin grows. It gets worse and worse. It's like an addiction. It's like a drug habit that you form and you say, you know, I can quit when I want to quit, but just try quitting. Once you get addicted, it's very hard to stop. You can't, you can't uh, come off of that drug without going through withdrawals. And so here, it's the same thing with sin. Sin is addicting. Once you start doing it, it's hard to stop. And, and it grabs you. And, it, and it's like that chain that at first, it may seem like you have a lot of slack on that line of chain. But the more that you sin and the more that you sin and the more that you sin, the more slack goes away. And pretty soon you realize you have very little room to move. And finally, you have no room to move. And sin will choke you to death. That's the way sin operates. It grows. Verse number 6 of Genesis 6, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. I mentioned earlier in an earlier lesson that, that God is not an ogre in the sky. God was grieved over this. He didn't want to flood the earth. He was grieved over it. It hurt him. Sin hurts God. So sin brings shame. It makes you want to hide from God. It brings a separation it, uh, between you and God. It grows. But here again, it hurts God. It grieves him. Verse 7, And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Somebody say, well, how, how does God, you know, I've even heard people call God a genocidal beast. Let me put it this way. Um, God realized mankind was killing themselves. Because you can read later, one of the characteristics of this day, verse 11 of Genesis 6 says, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Cain killed his brother. Lamech killed two men. And so we see that apparently there's more killing going on. The earth is filled with violence. Doesn't that sound like our day? The earth is filled with violence today and with corruption. Two things that characterized their day was corruption and violence. Corruption and violence. There was no justice. They were corrupt in their ways. They didn't treat their brother right, in other words. And there was violence. They were killing one another. And God realized, I've got to do something. Sin has grown to the place. It cannot be contained. It can't be controlled. I've got to do something. And so God realized he was going to have to destroy the earth. But thank God for verse 8. Genesis 6 and 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Can I say, grace is not just a New Testament concept. It's an Old Testament concept as well. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What does the word grace mean? Okay, the word grace could mean the favor of God. It speaks of the favor of God, the acceptance of God. In other words, 
it's not about what you've done necessarily, but it's the fact that that uh, Noah was not a perfect man, but he was a man that in spite of all the wickedness that was going around, on around him, Noah had a relationship with God. Because we know this because when God spoke to him and said, build an ark, it's going to rain. It never rained before, but by faith Noah prepared an ark. We'll read that here in just a moment in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 again. So this is what it says. It says the earth also, this is verse 11, uh, was, filled, was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupt corrupted his way upon the earth. Notice that all flesh. We have one man that has not corrupted his way before the Lord. All flesh has corrupted their way before God. Verse 13, and God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. This is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. Verse 15, the length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. By the way, the cubit has been measured out about from the, the, the uh, uh, depending on the size of your arm, of course, uh, uh, it, it has uh, been measured out, excuse me, I, I'm sorry, it's been measured from your elbow to the top of your middle finger. Somewhere around there, there's, there's differing opinions about that, but uh, the cubit has been measured somewhere around there. Uh, actually, a cubit is about 18 inches. That's a better description. A cubit's about 18 inches, okay? And so uh, it says 300 cubits is the length. The breadth of it, 50 cubits, and the height of it, 30 cubits. Watch this, verse 16. A window shalt thou make to the ark. One window? That doesn't make much sense. Watch this. Uh, and in a cubit shalt thou fashion it above. God wanted him to take the, uh, the window and put it above. Now, that doesn't really make much sense, right? But I want you to notice that. He says, uh, you're supposed to take that window and put it in the top. One man said it this way. God didn't want them to look out. He wanted them to look up. You see, because if they had windows on all sides of the ark, they were going to look out and see the destruction that was coming about. They were going to look out and they were going to see the trouble and they were going to hear the screams and they were going to see uh, people drowning and dying. God didn't want them distracted by all that mess. He wanted them to look up. He wanted them to look up. We're told uh, in the Bible, uh, in the book of Luke, I believe it is, and I don't have the reference right in front of me, but Jesus told them, he said, when all these things shall come to pass, look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. Let's see quickly if we can find that verse of Scripture, and I want to read it to you. Um, and so I believe it's found in the book of Luke. Let me see if I could find this here just for a second. Okay, uh, in the book of uh, in the book of Luke, chapter twenty-one, in verse number twenty-eight. Luke twenty-one and twenty-eight. And let's actually back up here a few verses, and I want to read a few things here. Um, Let's go to verse number 21. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out. And let not them that are in the countries enter therein too. For these shall be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And there shall be signs in the sun. So there's signs in the, in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, 
all around them. In other words, distress of nations with perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring. So above them there's problems. To the sides of them there's problems. Below them there's problems. He says, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. People are getting in trouble because they're looking at all the stuff that surrounds them. Then verse 27, and when they shall see this, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Verse 28, and when these things began to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. He said, when all these things come to pass, don't get distracted by them. Just lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. There's a reason why God wanted that window put in the top of the ark. So they'd look up, not look out. Okay, so let's go back and let's talk about the ark a little bit more. It says, um, the rest of the verse 16, And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. Now there's a lot of beautiful, beautiful typology here. Okay, um, God gave very specific instructions. He says, Noah, I want you to make this ark out of gopher wood. Okay, and there's a specific kind of wood, Noah, I want you to use. And then I only want you to make one window. And this is the length, and this is the breadth of it, and this is the height of it, this is the depth. And then he says, uh, Noah, I only want you to put one door on that ark. Why only one door? You know why? You can read it in the book of John in the New Testament. Jesus said, I am the door. He said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is the door. In typology, the door of that ark represented Jesus. And so he only wanted to make one door. But look at it from Noah's perspective. It didn't make much sense to only have one window and one door. But Noah had faith. Remember what faith is? Taking God at his word. Let's read the book of Hebrews chapter number 11. Returning there again. We've returned there quite a bit in our series so far. But let's go to the book of Hebrews chapter number 11. And um, I want to uh, read a verse of scripture here. Let's go to Hebrews 11 and verse 7. By faith. Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, watch this, moved with fear. You know, fear is not always a bad thing. Moved with fear. It can mean reverence, but it could also mean trembling. Moved with fear. Prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. There's a lot that I could say with this verse, but he condemned the world through his actions. What does that mean? Because in the midst of the world, I've often wondered, did God try to speak to somebody else? Was there anybody else that God tried to speak to and warn them of what was going to come? Maybe. Maybe not. But if he did, they didn't respond. What set Noah apart is that when God spoke, Noah had faith. He believed God. He took God at his word. And notice, when God gave him very specific instructions, Noah did everything that God told him to do. Okay? And uh, this is what it says, verse 17 of Genesis 6. We're returning there. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant. A covenant, remember, is an agreement between two parties. And thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort, shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female. You know, think about it. Noah wouldn't really be considered much of a success in our day and age, would he? No, he wouldn't. Noah really wouldn't be considered much of a success in our day. Let's go to the book of 2 Peter, chapter number 2, and verse number 5. 2 Peter, chapter 2, verse number 5. 
comes, of course, right after 1 Peter, right before 1 John, closer to the back of your Bible. And so let's return there. It says 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, And spare not the old world, but save Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. The Bible calls him, in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, a preacher of righteousness. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And so if I could put it this way, Noah preached. Every day he's building that ark. Number one, the ark's preaching a message, but Noah was adding words with it. Hey, I'm telling you people, a flood's coming to this earth. God's going to flood the earth. He's going to kill everything that moves. You better listen to me. You better get on board the ark. And I'm sure it was the that day's entertainment. They came by and they thought Noah was crazy because they said, Noah, what's rain? What are you talking about this rain? What are you talking about a flood? It's never rained before. It doesn't flood. Come on, Noah, use your common sense. And they probably made fun of him. It was probably the day's entertainment for them to take their family down and hear old Noah preach and laugh at him a little bit. As Noah preached, I'm telling you, the flood's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Now, we don't know how long it took him to build that boat. I mentioned earlier, some people say it was 120 years. Whatever it was, it may. It, I believe it probably took a long time. They didn't have modern-day technology when they built it. And so it was a huge boat. There's a modern-day exhibit that shows us how huge it was. And so Noah, the whole time he's building, I'm telling you, the flood's coming. I'm telling you, the flood's coming. Ha <laughs> ha, Noah, you're so funny. You're so funny. I almost wonder if there was some days that Noah preached, and they might have felt a little bit of conviction. You said, you know, uh, and said to themselves, you know what? We have been living pretty wicked. Maybe maybe Noah's right. What if he's right? No, no, Come on, honey. He can't be right. There's no way he's right. So they talk themselves out of it. Kind of like the modern day where there's churches on almost every corner, but very few churches preach the truth anymore. But there's so many people that's heard the truth preached. And so when they hear the preacher preach, some people mock, some people make fun, some people laugh, some people walk away and they say, oh, maybe I'll get right tomorrow. There may have been people in Noah's day that, that felt convicted, but they said, you know what? It hadn't flooded yet. And I'm not really all that concerned about it. And, and, and so I'm not going to really listen to it. But the Bible says this in the book of Genesis chapter 6 and verse 22, thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. He was very specific to do everything like God said. The whole time he's building, he's preaching, but he's building the ark just like God told him to build it. He's putting the window in the top. He's putting one door in the side and, and he's building it with gopher wood and he's pitching it within and without. He's doing everything just like God said. Now let me present something to you here today. Remember how specific God is? Remember how much of difference just one word can make? One command? One standard? One, one doctrine? Uh, Noah did everything just like God said. I'm going to read that again. Genesis 6 and verse 22. Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. He did everything just like God told him to do. I believe if he would have put two windows on that ark, it wouldn't have floated. I believe if he would have put two doors on that ark, it wouldn't have floated. He had to do it just like God said to do it. And so you may read the Bible and you may say, well, you know, I take this, but I don't take this. It's kind of like Thomas Jefferson made a Bible. He didn't believe in miracles. And so he could cut out all the passages of the supernatural out of his Bible. Wasn't much left. You can't just take and, and, and piecemeal this thing. you got to do it just like God said to do it. And that's why we must be so careful to obey every word of God. Remember Isaiah 1? If you be willing and obedient. It's not just enough to be willing. You've got to be obedient too. Genesis chapter 7 and verse number 1. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. 
and of every clean beast. Now, a lot of times when you see the paintings, you see only two of every kind of animal. That's wrong. Chapter 7 of Genesis, verse 2. I want you to look at this so you don't miss it. Of every clean beast shalt thou shalt take to thee by sevens. Not by two, but by sevens, the male and his female, and a beast that are not clean by two, the male and his female. It wasn't two of every kind. It was two of every, uh, two of every kind of unclean, but seven of every kind of clean. Why? They needed more, more of the clean because they could consume the clean. They could eat them, and they could offer the clean as a sacrifice. They were not to offer the unclean as a sacrifice or to eat the unclean. Okay? And then it says in verse number three, Of fowls also of the air by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of the earth for yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. By the way, if I could stop here long enough just to mention the fact that other civilizations, other uh, ancient documents that we receive from other civilizations tell of similar flood stories. Find it interesting that in so many uh, civilizations, there was a story of a flood. Tells us there's something to it. And it says in verse number 5 of Genesis 7, And Noah did according to all, there it is again, that the Lord commanded him. And Noah was 600 years old when the flood uh, of waters was upon the earth. And Noah went in, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood of clean beasts and of beasts that are not clean and of fowls and of everything that creepeth upon the earth. There went in two and two unto Noah into the ark. Uh, the male and the female, as God had commanded Noah, and it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the seventh, uh, and sorry, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day, were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights. In the selfsame day entered Noah and Shem and, and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them, into the ark. They and every beast after his kind, and all the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and every fowl after his kind, every bird of every sort. And they went in unto the ark, into the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they went in, uh, and they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him. Watch this. And the Lord shut him in. When God closes a door, no man can open it. You can read that in the book of Genesis chapter 3. It says when God opens a door, no man can shut it. But the reverse is also true. When God closes a door, no man can open it. When God shut the door to Noah's ark, no man could open it. I've often wondered whether people that had once made fun, but you know, maybe there was something different about the voice of Noah toward the end. Maybe his voice took on a new urgency and a new feeling of conviction. I'm telling you people, you got to listen to me. You got to repent. You got to get on board this ark. I'm, I'm telling you, God's going to flood the earth. And maybe one man looked at his wife and he said, you know, the preacher sounds pretty serious today. And there's something about what he's saying. I, I think maybe, honey, maybe tomorrow we should go get on board that ark. And that night, they, they, they couldn't really sleep very well. And, 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 and so they woke up very early in the, in, in the morning, or they got out of bed. Sorry, they didn't wake up, but they got out of bed in the morning. They hadn't really slept that night. It had been a rough night. And, and so they get the kids up, and they say, come on, kids, today we're going to go into the ark. And they stepped out of, out of their house, and, and when they did, they felt a little drop of rain. Oh, what was that? What was that? Taken by surprise. What was that? And then as they walked, they felt another drop of rain, another drop. And there's other people coming out of their houses now. And they're wondering, what in the world is going on? And all of a sudden, somebody said, it's starting to rain. The preacher was right. And I imagine there was a mad rush that rushed that ark that day. 
And they started pounding on the door because God had shut the door. They started pounding the, the, on the door and they said, Noah, Noah, let us in. Noah, let us in. Noah, let us in. It's raining out here. Noah, let us in. But God had shut the door. Because when God closes the door, no man can open it. Can I appeal to somebody here today? You're trying to put off living for God. And you say, I'll get right with him tomorrow. I'm going to tell you something. Tomorrow may be too late. Today is the day of salvation. Right now is the accepted time. You don't need to put it off anymore. You need to get right while you still have the chance to get right. And I'm sure that all too late, they realized Noah was right. There's going to come a day where people's going to realize that preacher was right. That man of God that told me about uh, about God coming back, told me about the wrath of the Lamb that was going to happen and about what all was going to take place in the book of Revelation. You know what? He was right. But it's going to be too late. Verse 24, Genesis 7. And the waters prevailed upon the earth in 150 days. Chapter 8, verse 1, And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters assuaged. The fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped. And the rain from heaven was restrained, and the waters returned from off the earth continually. And after the end of the earth, of, and sorry, and after the end of the hundred and fifty days, the waters were abated. And the ark rested in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, upon the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, were the tops of the mountains seen. And it came to pass at the end of forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent forth a raven which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. And also he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto him into the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then uh, he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her in unto him into the ark. And he stayed yet another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came into him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth, and he stayed yet another seven days, uh, or other seven days, and sent forth the dove, which returned not again unto him any more. And it came to pass in the six hundredth and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark, and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. Can I just say this? That the children didn't really have much of an option in all of this. They just got on the board because... Their daddy told them to. They may have thought their daddy was crazy while he was preaching, and they probably heard their friends mocking their daddy. Kind of like today, if I could just appeal to the hearts of young people, you might hear people mocking your pastor and making fun of your parents for living for God. But don't you know that when the floodwaters came and they started hearing the screams, don't you know they were glad they got on that boat? And if you're in the church today, be glad you're in the church. One man said it this way, Don't you know that it stunk on that ark? I mean, the manure, all the animals that stink in and of themselves. Don't you know it stunk on that ark? But don't you know it's a lot better to be in the stink than in the storm? The church may have its problems. Somebody listening may say, well, the church is full of hypocrites. But I'm going to tell you something. It's a whole lot better to be in the stink than in the storm. The church may not be perfect. But thank God for the church. Because it's your only way out of here. 
Now let's go back to verse number 15 of Genesis 8, and I'm going to close with this. And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wives and thy sons' wives with thee. All right, I'm going to skip down here a little bit. Verse 20, And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. Now that's interesting. Remember, uh, Adam, after he sinned, the ground was cursed. And then Cain, the ground uh, was cursed with an intense curse. Um, and then Lamech, when he had Noah, he said, This one will comfort us concerning the ground which God hath cursed. Well, that was a prophecy. It came to pass. And the Lord said, I won't curse the ground. I won't intensify the, cur the curse, in other words. And he says, I will not again Notice that word again. Curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite anymore every living thing as I have done. I find it sad. It's like God came to the conclusion, you know what? Man is just going to be evil. And I'm just going to have to deal with it. And he says, uh, because he said, For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite anymore every living thing as I have done. While the earth remain a seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. And so let's um, read verse number one of chapter nine of Genesis. God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And then let's uh, move down here a little bit. Uh, let's go ahead and read verse two. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. This is the first reference we have of mankind eating beast. Okay, And it says, But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall you not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast, will I require it, and at the hand of man. Uh, at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he, made he man. And you be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. And God spake unto Noah and to his son, saying with him, And I behold, I establish my covenant. Remember that agreement? With you. The word covenant is an interesting word. In the Hebrew it actually means cutting. Um, and back in those days, one would, if they two men were going to make a covenant, uh, they would cut uh, a piece of their skin and they would put, the, uh, you know, let's, let's just say, for instance, their wrist and uh, they would put their two wrists together and their blood would join and they would call themselves, uh, you know, it's that they're making a, a cutting, a covenant. And that's where the phrase blood brothers comes from. Man, we're blood brothers. Um, and so it's the same thing here. God says, I'm making a covenant with you. God made a covenant with Noah, an agreement with Noah. And he says, And I will establish my covenant with you, verse 11. Uh, Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Somebody might say, Well, what about flash floods? And what about tsunamis and all of that? No, he said, Neither shall all flesh be cut off anymore. In other words, there won't be a worldwide flood. Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. Now, the New Testament, I'm not going to take time to read it, but it says, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. In other words, they were doing it just like they'd always done it, living like they've always lived. And that's what we're having here today. The earth is filled with violence and corruption, just like in Noah's day. There's preachers of righteousness on every corner preaching the word of God. Or maybe not on every corner, but, but there is preachers of righteousness in the earth and they're preaching. 
There's a lot of preachers out there, but few preachers of righteousness. But uh, the preachers of righteousness have been preaching and preaching. The Lord's coming back. The Lord's coming back. But people are mocking. But just like it was in the days of Noah. People can continue to eat and drink. And they can marry and give in marriage. And, and build themselves a business and go about life like it's never going to happen. But there will come a day that the Lord's going to come back. And time will be no more. Can I just tell you here today that if you're waiting for tomorrow, tomorrow may be too late. Get right today. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity that we've had to study the Word of God. I'm asking, Lord, speak to everybody under the sound of my voice. And that soul that's been procrastinating and putting off getting right with God, save their soul. Move on them right now, even as they listen to this recording. Help them to make up their mind to serve God for the rest of their life, because tomorrow may be too late. Lord, we look for your coming. We lift up our heads, and we look for you. In Jesus' name, amen.